You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Soprano Ana Maria Martinez is backstage at Lyric. You know, sometimes playing the good girl is very hard, very difficult to bring three dimensions. And I think that her innocence, her naivete, just comes from absolute lack of experience. But she's ripe when we meet her. She's ready for this love. She's been fantasizing about this sort of thing, dreaming about it, hearing about it in her village. So it's not that she's approved at all. No, no, no. She's, she's quite ready. She just doesn't know how. Thank you for downloading this edition of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Mark Travis, the producer for this series. Our guest this time is the Puerto Rican soprano Ana Maria Martinez, who makes her role debut as Margarita in Guno's Faust. Lyric dramaturg Roger Pines hosts this interview, but before we play it, here's a brief summary of the plot for Faust. Faust, an aged philosopher, despairs of finding wisdom in books and is about to drink poison. Mephistopheles appears and offers Faust youth and a young maiden, Marguerite, in return for Faust's soul. The sight of Marguerite is irresistible and Faust accepts. Aided by Mephistopheles, Faust successfully courts Marguerite but soon deserts her. Months later, Margarita is imprisoned and facing execution for the murder of her and Faust's illegitimate child. Faust goes to her and urges her to escape with him, but she repels him. Margarita dies, but a choir of angels proclaims that she is redeemed. Faust's fate remains somewhat unclear. And now on to that interview with soprano Ana Maria Martinez. Here's your host, Roger Pines. I'm here with Ana Maria Martinez. Welcome back to Chicago. Thank you, Roger. What have rehearsals been like so far for the Faust, where you're singing your first Marguerite on stage? Okay, the word that comes to mind is a blast. <laughs> we have the wonderful Frank Corsaro, who's such a, such an amazing institution in and of himself. And um, when I say blast, it's it's because he brings such such. Besides the tremendous wealth of knowledge, such wit and such humor, especially when you're dealing with with the dark moments, the very sad and and very tragic moments, his humor just keeps us um, really on our toes. I should indicate that he's our stage director. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry, I did not specify that. Yes, yes, our our brilliant stage director. Yes, we've we've been staging and staging and staging, um, and we have worked with Sir Andrew now a few times, which I'm very excited about, and and uh, musically I'm I'm very excited, and also. With with uh, Frank Corsaro's approach, I'm 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 very very interested in seeing how this continues to to develop. Because he's yeah. famous for his theatrical work as well as his yes. operatic work, and he's the former director of the Actors Studio. Yes. So what does he bring to it as somebody who is so well versed in spoken theater that somebody who does exclusively opera might not? Well, it's interesting when you work with theater directors. 
staging opera. I mean, he's been doing opera now for years and years and years, but I've also worked with, with uh, some directors that don't have a lot of experience with opera who come from the theater world, and it's fascinating. They are really interested, and I would say that Frank is very interested, in the spoken word, the text, the meaning. And sometimes he'll say, don't act the music. You have to, what are you saying? It has to be real. Please don't stand there and look like a potato, you know. <laughs> really, really know what it is that you're saying and feel it. And I want it to be real and I want to feel what you're feeling. You know, he'll emphasize that a lot, which is fantastic. And sometimes he'll be observing us. Like he'll give us a geography of where we have to go, what we have to do. He'll sit back and then he'll come up to you and he'll say one thing. You know, or he'll just have you move in a certain way and then all of a sudden, wah, the light bulb goes on. It's like, oh, that's what you mean. Okay. okay. Now, you've never sung the role before and on stage, and here you are doing it with, you're going to have two Fausts. Yes. You have Piotr Pachawa in his debut with us, and you have Joe Kaiser, who mm -hmm. is doing the last several performances. So have you rehearsed with both of them so far? Um, we had one, one afternoon, I, I believe that Joe was with us before Piotr arrived, and I've been primarily working with Piotr. And Joe is, is there at, at rehearsals, and who's lovely, lovely. And I had the pleasure of hearing him on the Millennium Park concert. Such a beautiful singer. And then you have your Mephistopheles, Renee Papa. Yes. And so you've never sung with any of these three before, correct? With Renee, yes. Many eons ago, we did a magic flute together in Germany, in Bonn. And he was Zarastro, and I was Pamina. What is he like, a, a German bass taking on this iconic French role? Mm -hmm. Well, what I've been able to, to observe in rehearsal, um, and I mean this in the best way, very frightening. <laughs> he, he has uh, interjected his feeling of the devil quite well. Let, let's say that the audience is in for quite a treat. And other than the Millennium Park concert, this mm -hmm. is the first time for you to be conducted by Sir Andrew? Yes, yes. Very oh, exciting. That's thrilling. Very, very exciting. Um, now, it's, it's a goal for you, Marguerite, hasn't it been after doing Michaela and Carmen and Juliet and mm -hmm. Romeo and Juliet? Uh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And and um, hmm, it, it's interesting to to try to fully understand her arc. That that's what I always look for when I'm doing a character, and especially for the first time, is look at her journey at the time that we're meeting the character. Why are we meeting them all at this point? You know, what if we had met them a month ago? Wouldn't be perhaps as interesting, and in some cases because of their demise and, and their passing on to another world, let us say, we wouldn't meet them later. You know, so what about this moment is so important? So her, her arc in this, her journey is, is quite, quite something else. And like in a lot of operas, a lot of what happens to her, let's say more than anything else psychologically and emotionally, is happening off stage. So there are a lot of steps and this is where, where Frank and I have a lot of coffee, <laughs> is to try to discuss, you know, what, what we might not have time to indulge ourselves in. During rehearsal, I, um, he's very gracious to give me some of his time to just talk about what happens to her off stage. A lot of lyric sopranos sing Marguerite's jewel song before they ever get around to singing the role of Marguerite. Was the, the, the aria, was that mm -hmm. part of your life for a long time before the, the role ever, the whole role ever came into your life? Mm -hmm. Well, I looked at the role in college um, those years and I always worked on it here and there. So it's always been kind of with me. But the Jewel song I started doing just a couple of years ago in concerts. And it's quite bubbly, and I've seen it in kind of one way. And that's been a real joy to work on with Frank in, in rehearsals. He wants to show other dimensions 
Oh, you've hopefully. only seen it done the bubbly way, or yeah, I've I've really just seen that, and and uh, his his take is is quite interesting. I think it's one of the most challenging roles in the lyric soprano repertoire. Period. I mean, do you agree with that? And I would say yeah. I mean, musically, you know, you you, you have to have your act together. Yeah, <laughs> no argument there. Uh, but I, I would say that journey and to not, you know, sometimes playing the good girl is very hard, very difficult to bring three dimensions. And I think that her her innocence, her naivete, just comes from absolute lack of experience. But she's ripe when we meet her. She's ready for this love. She's been fantasizing about this sort of thing, dreaming about it, hearing about it in her village. Um, let's see how much she's read. You know, it's up to our imagination how much she's read about this sort of thing. But she's ready. So that's that's different. It's not that she's approved at all. No, no, no. She's, she's quite ready. She just doesn't know how. It's, it's in addition to the whole dramatic side. It's a vocal challenge. It seems to me because she starts out so light and then she gets heavier and heavier vocally mm -hmm. as she goes along. Isn't there a you know, real transition there too? Yes, but it's not. I, I let's say I would compare it with uh, Juliette, the, you know, the Romeo Juliet, where she really starts high. I mean, going up to D's and everything like that, and then she starts to get lower and let's say heavier. And from what I understand, that Juliet's waltz was added to the piece because the singer that was premiering it had quite a coloratura, a very high voice, and wasn't really being showcased that much in the role. So Gounod was gracious and gave her that, and that entrance also, which goes up to a D. Um, whereas Marguerite is central. You know, when she starts to say, you know, I'd love to know who that stranger was. Is he a grand uh, seigneur? You know, is he a, um, a nobleman? Um, what's his name? Right before she starts at Radetile, and Radetile is also quite central. So even though the the Jules song moves, it's central. So you're kind of in that same tessitura and that same vocal range. She has an aria in our production that she doesn't always have. She has a second aria. A lot of companies cut it. But we're doing it, and I think it normally takes place in a garden. But we're not putting it in a garden. Where are we putting that whole scene? It's it's very in, uh, industrial. That's what uh, Frank Corsaro wanted to to show. So it's kind of a mill. You know, she's working, she's working, and she's she's weaving. And what is going on in that aria, which is so different from the Jewel song? Very different. It's it's um. In in the recit before, she's hearing the girls that she used to play with and she used to talk with uh, in the village. She used to be a part of them. She's banished now because she has, in their eyes, sinned. She's um, expecting child. She's um, just banished from society. She's completely alone, and she's saying to herself, he's not coming back. He's not coming back. So she's lost everything, absolutely everything. And, and and that era, you know, it wasn't where you could pick up and leave and be this independent single mom, uh, which today is applauded. We've, we've come a long way, baby, <laughs> but not, not then. And I think that that is where we begin to see um, her depression and for her to sink deeper and deeper into a depression. Uh, following that scene is the church scene, which then throws her over the edge. And then she goes into madness. But I think that she was more susceptible to that madness given the depth of her depression. So we get to see those extra beats of her character and her evolution. And we've talked a lot about the drama, but as far as the musical side, there's more gorgeous music in Faust. That, oh, it's I mean, beautiful. And you know, some of the most glorious heavenly music is sung by 
Mephistopheles. I mean, the, the, the devil. It's, he gets the most sublime, angelic music. I wonder what that's The most about. angelic music? I think so. His I mean, serenade when he's, and... When he's casting, there are moments when he's really, really creating the mood right before the garden duets between Marguerite and Faust. That is some of the most gorgeous music I've ever heard in the orchestra and in everything. And I'm thinking, well, well, well. <laughs> now, you made your debut here in Pagliacci mm -hmm. last year and you had such a great success with it. What do you remember of that experience. I loved it. I, I, I loved being here, finally, a dream come true. And to sing one of my favorite ladies who's so, uh, she's so real and, and raw and, and so out there. And apropos, why do we meet that character then? That's the day when she's had enough. <laughs> and she's very confrontational and very brave, very courageous. And she knows what the risk is. She's fully aware, eyes wide open. And she fights for her life, and, and she, on one hand, loses because her life is taken, but on the other hand, she was true to herself. You know, your Ned that was opposite the Kanye of Vladimir Galuzin, who is actually here yeah. in uh, Chicago. Uh, he's going to open our season in Tosca. Have you been able to just say hello? Have you had any time? <laughs> yes. or? We said hello at the Millennium Park concert, and I've seen him, it sounds like school, in the hallways. <laughs> I've seen him in the building. And, and it's always lovely to see him. He's such a, an exquisite singer and, and such an exceptional colleague. Truly wonderful. You had a really exciting summer. You were at mm -hmm. Glyndebourne Festival Opera in England, debuting yeah. as Borjak's Rusalka, the first time they'd ever done it. But you also have something really exciting coming up, which is a very special bohème. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know it's sort of momentous for you. In Puerto Rico, yes. yes. Um, I, I'm, I was born in Puerto Rico, and even though I've had the great privilege of, of performing in concert there, I've not yet done a fully staged opera. And it's a great thrill to, to be going to my island of enchantment, as, as it's called, affectionately. And to do my, my first fully staged opera as Mimi, I'm very excited about that. So will you have family who have known you all your life who are still there and will be there at your performance? I and certainly hope so. That's the plan. That is the plan. And, and I think that we're all very excited. Your husband is the tenor Chad Shelton and you and he have a little boy, Lucas, mm -hmm. and I know that he isn't even four years old yet, but, does he, but does he already listen willingly to operatic music? He will listen. I mean, during the pregnancy, during my pregnancy, I sang to him a lot, and, and I remember, uh, actually, it ended up being two days or three days before he was born, uh, but he came a few days early. He, he arrived on my birthday. Talk about the most wonderful gift, huh? And uh, I said, oh my gosh, there's still arias I haven't sung for you in utero. So I, I took out Traviata score, I took out the Bohem score. Um, Oh, what else? And I took out the soprano anthology and I just sang through some arias and then just kind of rubbed my belly and I said, okay, I hope you heard that, you know, I hope you liked it. And then sometimes when I couldn't calm him down, although he was not a very, uh, baby that cried a lot other than when he was hungry, but when he was upset and just weeks old or months old, I'd, I'd sing for him and then he'd listen and he'd calm down. And there, there were a few months in there uh, about maybe a year ago when, when Chad and I would sing and he'd say, no, stop, stop, no. And then that passed to where I'm singing something and then he will run to the piano and pretend that he's playing and that we're doing something together, which is very sweet. And now when he hears music playing and people singing, he'll look at me and go, Mama singing, Mama singing, 
or if he hears a male voice, Tata singing. So he, he welcomes it now. He's gone through his phases in, in all of his two and a half years. So has he seen anything on the stage? Not yet. Uh, when he was about a little over one, he saw me rehearse in concert with, with Domingo. And he started crying, and it ended up that he wanted to be on stage. So Placido said, bring him up. So he held him while we were doing some duets together, and then Lucas was fine. Then, then it was okay, as long as he was on stage too. You came back to Chicago after being in South America. Where were your concerts with Mr. Domingo? They were in Cartagena de Indias, uh, Colombia, Cartagena de India, and um, Lima, Peru. And what are those? Are those audiences any different in South America from audiences that you would sing anywhere for anywhere else in the world? I, you know, I, I would say yes, of course, because the, the, the cultures are different in different cities, different parts of the world. Um, but I would say that the warmth, when you feel the warmth from an audience and, and the joy, that's universal. That, that's why I love music so much and math. Those are our universal languages. They bring us all together. So while your surroundings and your climate and the local language and the local food may be different, the love that they're pouring out you just feels wonderful. Well, on that very positive note, I want to wish you every success with Faust. Thank you, Ana Maria, very much. Thank you, Rafael. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org. Oh,